You may be seated. Hallelujah. That's a prayer point that we will have to dwell upon individually for a while, especially through the month of January. You know, God is sovereign. It doesn't take God eternity to do that which is eternal. The planning of mortals are porous. And it will take God just to touch the nerve of the confidence of the plan and it will shatter. God has no restraint either to win with many or to conquer with few. Yesterday we came to the conclusion that we are at an intersection of destiny. Through research, we also stumbled on the conclusion that in the Nigerian experience, revival is always the catalyst to the realization of the potential of each sector of the corporate persona called Nigeria. We saw how that the SU revival produced what we call the oil boom. There was a move of God in the land that began to affect the economic landscape. Those were the days of academic excellence. The royal family of Saudi Arabia used to come for medical checkup in University of Ibadan Teaching Hospital. Yes, that was, it was among the first five best hospitals in the whole wide world in terms of competence, manpower, effective specialization, and administration. Till today, it still has one of the most intimidating diagnostic centers. Everything was pointing to the fact that ours was a great nation upon which the hand of God has decided to rest. But in the day of our prosperity, just like the lamentation of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, our king decided to go gather the gods of West Africa to celebrate a feast and to dedicate the nation unto the demons of the coast of West Africa. The black magicians of Senegal were summoned. The marabouts of Mali. The sorcerers of Chad. 
Hallelujah. All with the imagery of their gods and wicked spirits were celebrated in a carnival. That was where confusion was thrown into the nation Nigeria. We have since been navigating through parched places and wildernesses. Hallelujah. But all of these things were foretold in prophecy. Per Elton, Sidney Elton, as he, he was called, was actually the first person that persistently talked about the strategic and prophetic importance of the black race in general and Nigeria in particular. He was the one that said that Nigeria will be known globally as the headquarters of corruption. That the corruption in Nigeria will stink so much that anything that comes from Nigeria will, will carry the stench of reproach. Some people were sent to for a conference in Sweden. <laughs> Hallelujah. So as people were coming, registering, I'm from Nigeria. So when the guy from Nigeria, the guys from Nigeria came and they indicated that they came from Nigeria, the organizers of the meeting had to call them. He said, is that country still existing? Because the amount of money in Nigeria that is floating in the nerve of the Swedish economy, they don't expect that nation to still be on the map. There are several places you get to just because you come with the green passport and, and our shade of green that we, we, we chose for passport color is the excellent shade of green. The, the brilliance of the color will not deliver you from the ready-made perspective about our corporate stench in terms of corruption, unrighteousness, Hallelujah. I was in South Africa trying to connect to another nation and they were screening all the people that were passing by. When they saw my green passport, they began to interrogate me. I was just laughing. She asked so many questions and I answered in brief. In brief. In brief. She was not satisfied with my answers. I didn't want to talk. So when I saw that the questions were too much, I clicked on the meeting I was going to preach in the country I was going to. She now said, so you are a pastor. So you are. Now, it's not Satan. Yet the devil might be grossly at work. But you see, there's a platform that the devil is standing on. If you go to some nations, as you are coming as a Nigerian, you are already a suspect. In fact, there's a local intelligence have been detailed to watch you to see how many offerings you will take in the service. In nations like UK, nations, most of our fathers go there. They can't do the kind of things they do here. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's the situation of things. Meanwhile, prophecy revealed. 
that there was going to be a shift in our identity as a corporate persona, and God was going to visit the land that Nigeria was going to be known by righteousness globally. Even in our, our deteriorated state, we still, <laughs> in terms of statistics, we are still the most religious nation. The most religious nation in the world is not Saudi Arabia, where they go for pilgrimage. Because by the time you arrive in Saudi Arabia and you see the league of homosexuals, you will now discover that there's no religion there. There's no God there. Hallelujah. I met the, the, the guy in Nigeria that organizes Nigerian ladies for prostitution in Saudi Arabia. I met him. And then he told me how the business was, that the business was going down, that those days those Arabs used to like the blacks. And he was a major contractor. But now he's trying to see how he can take people that are a bit fair, maybe the black fair dimension. <laughs> Meanwhile, he was supposed to be going on pilgrimage to sanctify his soul. May the Lord give you understanding. So we saw yesterday how that the church has lost our credibility. The credibility that it once had in society. You see, we don't have a corporate voice. Even if the president of Cannes should do call for a media briefing, uh, the things that will be said will not have the potency of changing the direction of anything. Because our corporate voice has been lost on the platform of compromise. Our reputation in terms of leadership, the reputation of our leadership has declined seriously. Those days we had men that could go on um, public radio and make a proclamation and it would, it would, it would force the hand of government. But that is not the case now because of our level of deterioration. There has been a massive erosion of our Christian heritage. Number four. It is now noticeable that a significant segment of the Christian church in this country is gradually but steadily departing from the basic goals of Christianity. And the entire church is in the danger of losing its basic direction. Now, this is a very candid analysis of the state of the Nigerian church. There are some PowerPoints we need to draw from the presentation I made since yesterday. We identify that um, there are doctrinal errors in the camp of those that are seeking to move the church forward. So every form of advancement we get on the strength of that error is not true kingdom advancement. It's an advancement of delusion. Secondly, we identify that we are a struggling church, lacking basic stature owing to inherent unrighteousness and corruption. Thirdly, we also identified that there is a great erosion of our Christian heritage 
and that the credibility of our leadership has declined. Fourthly, we have also identified that the entire church is in danger of losing basic direction. Solution. And because if we are saying that we are sensing a move of God, sensing a revival, one of the things that God does during a time of revival is that he comes to judge his house. And we saw yesterday that there is nothing that doesn't have its roots in the house of God that can have its roots in society. Society is actually a reflection of the state of the church. Yes. And we went to the book of Ezekiel chapter 11 to establish that for those of you that were here yesterday. Whenever you see corruption massively, it's because ministers have become corrupt. If you see immorality massively in societies because immorality has found a place in the culture of the people of God. Because if we are purged and if we are standing erect with God, God will have an occasion to bring judgment to a generation that has derailed because he will use us as a standard. But in a situation where God cannot find a standard in his house, judgment is withheld. So if God will move forward right now, he will have to visit the body of Christ and judge. That is why if you read the prophecies we gave in, the, in, in December, crossover and all of that, there is an item in that prophecy that there is going to be major dealings. Men of God. Some will be swept. In fact, it has already started. There, there is a mass cycle of deaths that has begun. A mass cycle of deaths among um, ministers of the gospel. It's a time to check your heart and find out what you are really serving. Because by the time God is done with his house, um, the language of righteousness will become popular again. You know, now we serve the God of breakthrough. The one that can add four zeros to your account holding. Hallelujah. If you still watch cable satellite, you'll find there's a preacher in Zimbabwe that claims to have the anointing to give miracle money. When he prays from the pulpit, then people will begin to receive a lot. You have not studied your Bible very well. There's an angel called the, the angel of commerce. Hallelujah. He was formerly Lucifer, but when he fell, he's in charge of commerce right now, the angel of commerce. You have not read his account in the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 28? The negotiating fellow. As far as he's concerned, everything is for sale. You are for sale. You have a price. It's just that the price is not yet known. But if we try your soul long enough, we'll see what you will sell for. The angel of commerce. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus is our example. The apostles in the Bible are example. And according to scripture, the Bible says that he that does not walk should not eat. One of the errors that is associated with the faith, faith preaching is that we decided to doctor faith preaching to accommodate lazy people. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, the principles of scripture 
that govern financial increase require that our hands will be busy, set on a project. Right? Because the Bible says that whatsoever he shall lay his hands upon to do, he shall prosper. Oh man. It's okay. Let him sit at the back. Oh, they have, they have struck this one again. I don't know why this January is too long. This January is too long. I, I pray that God will help um, January to finish quickly. Please, can you gather yourself? Gather yourself. Are you still with me? A lazy man that refuses to engage in anything that is productive is praying and expecting that God will bless him. Prayer is very powerful. But in the case of financial blessing, the scripture has a position about that. And it happens to be that the position of scripture is superior to your prayer. Because your prayer is as relevant to the extent to which it's aligned with the will of God. Amen. I say amen. Amen. Faith without works, the Bible Bible says, is dead. There is something that you are doing that is reflective of the fact that God has spoken to you. It is that word of the Lord spoken into your spirit that gives you the capacity to swim against the tide of impossibility in terms of consistency and resilience until that which you have heard in your spirit begins to come to pass and until your life proves that God is true and every man is a liar. That's a man of faith. And we should not confuse laziness for faith. Because faith people keep at it because God has spoken. Not because it's convenient, not even because it is working. They keep believing God in spite of circumstances and situations until that which God has spoken finds expression. That's the life of faith. And it is by no means a relative to slothfulness. You know, the other time when MMM people came, many people were victims. I didn't want to announce on the pulpit to find out how much casualties we have in, had in the house. But I'm aware of people whose school fees ended up on the table of MMM. Now, you see, the average believer thinks a, <laughs> a miracle it's a situation that exempts you from, from profitable work. And anything that excludes work is contrary to the principles of God. And that's not how God establishes people and makes people mighty. God will give you the wisdom to establish a security system of finances. So that as it's going out, there's a channel through which it will come back. If you have no such system, there is a limit to which God can answer your financial prayers. Are you still with me? Because this year, one of the things God said I should announce 
is that there should be nobody among us that is not engaged in developing a financial circulatory system. The reason why I'm announcing this is because there's so much grace for establishment in that area. So much grace has been released. So much grace. And that is the reason why we will spend some time in talking about divine prosperity, how it works, how, how to take advantage of the provisions of God in that regard. With proper balance, so that it will not obscure our pursuit in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Now, we just saw the state of the church. And um, what is the solution? What will God do in order for him to secure his purposes in our nation? If the witness that he has, which is the church, the body of Christ, has so degraded to this point. The first solution is in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Are you there? I said, are you there? Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 is the obituary of a, of a city. The obituary of a nation. The same kind of obituary that Nigeria is subject to at the moment. When I begin the reading, you begin to see a lot of comparisons with what is obtainable in our country and what the reading holds because we are in a state of obituary. Hallelujah. Those days, my parents, if you get a job and it's not pensionable, it's trouble. They'll say, go and look for a job that is what? Pensionable so that when you retire, something will be coming in. <laughs> my mom just retired. After 35 active years of service. In fact, those days they used to give a parting gift of a war clock. This clock on the wall. Probably to, as a sign, a prophetic message that your time, your days are numbered. <laughs> but these days they don't even give parting gifts anymore. And the pension that is the salvation that they look to. I don't know when last my mom saw pension. And when I went to visit her, she said she had a lot of 10,000. And she's trying to find out the meaning of that. She, she never understood that that was her pension. <laughs> it means her counsel was wrong. The confidence that we had, the altar, this rock, Nigeria, the rock, Nigeria, that we looked onto for pension was not strong as the Lord, our rock. So even though there was so much confidence, it could not deliver in the time of decay. This is the situation. Isaiah chapter 1. It's a long reading. Just give me some time. Let's get it started. Trust God to go forward. The vision of 
Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. So that's the span. It is during the reign of these kings in Jerusalem and Judah that accounts for the span of his ministry. Are you with me? Now, you must understand that the kings we are talking about here, apart from David and Solomon, these were the iconic kings of Israel. In, during their reign, Israel prospered sumptuously. But the prosperity of Israel was at the de detriment of his spiritual character. The prophet began to cry that this kind of prosperity has no foundation because it has led us away from the covenants of God. He spoke about a time of doom and nobody hacking to his voice until the things that he warned Israel about began to find expression. Verse 2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. It means it doesn't take intelligence to be obedient. When God begins to demand something of you, you see, the ox knows what its owner is intelligent enough to know its owner. The ass is intelligent enough to know its master's creed. Hallelujah. But the issues that make for rebellion is not lack of intelligence. Because when God spells out what he wants you to do for him, it's always very clear. When God came to Abraham and said, get thee out of thy country. Get thee out of thy kindred. Get thee out of thy father's house. See, it was cerebrally comprehensive and comprehensible. It was not mysterious. It was not a juggernaut. But you see, the, the, it was a spiritual call. And the demand to fulfill the call was more than understanding. In fact, is when you have understood that you want to begin to prosecute the cause, that you begin to discover how much you need the grace of God in order to feel that which his calling expects from your life. So it's not as if you don't understand. But it's the ability to prosecute it that is the matter. You see, so it's not an issue of lack of comprehension of what God wants. Because God is very basic about the things he requires from his people. And it's the extent of our compliance that um, occasions God to take us to higher pedestals of, of informing us about higher things he wants and then he brings us into higher levels of oppression. So obedience is the passcode in kingdom dealings. If he gives you a little assignment and you're obedient to it, you're consistent in it, he will open your horizon, he will open your scope. That's how God operates. The Bible speaking in the book of uh, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verse 32, the Bible says, we are witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost that is given unto them that obey him. And as you begin to obey God, he begins to open his chambers, becomes favorably disposed to you, and he begins to reassign you and give you more tasks and 
more things to do. So you find out that in the kingdom, several people are very busy and some people don't have what to do. It's not because they don't know what God wants cerebrally. He said, the ox knoweth his owner. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass is master's script, but my people do not know. And Israel does not consider. It means Israel is not reasonable. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. A seed of evil, evil doers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backward. Jump from there to verse 7. It looks like Benue. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in the vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Now, this is an obituary of a city, of a land, of a nation. And this prophet is sounding the lamentation of this obituary and brings perspective to his lamentation because the source of the obituary is rebellion. And on the strength of rebellion, God's wonderful grace that was the shield and the beauty of Israel was withdrawn. And her nakedness was discovered. And strangers and headsmen looked upon her nakedness and exploited it. So much so that the land is like a garden of cucumbers. It's like a besieged city. Now, so this is the portrait of the current state. Of our level of compliance in the body of Christ in Nigeria. Now, it happens to be that there is so much at stake. What is at stake is much more than our generation. What is at stake, actually, is the faithfulness of God in keeping with several ancestral covenants. When God looks at a people, what he sees are the covenants that bind them. The covenants in their midst that have the capacity to compel him to act on their behalf. So, what is at stake is beyond our generation and our children. Are you with me? Alright. So, yes, Israel has sinned. And from the perspective of the justice system of heaven, what should accompany this kind of rebellion and sin should be judgment. And the righteous nature of God compels him to be a God of judgment when his people of covenant decide to operate in rebellion. Hallelujah. However, God will not utterly destroy his people. The reason is because before that generation came, there was a generation that their ancestors caught covenant with him. And on the strength of that agreement, he will need um, a people to continue his generation upon the face of the earth in keeping with the agreement he made with the ancestors. So in this kind of dilemma, when an entire generation decides to drift away from the ways of God, even though hidden in their foundation and covenants that God has caught among them, even with their fathers, God is compelled to initiate a policy. And I would like to 
explain that policy very critically. Hallelujah. Now the policy is in verse 9. And this policy is what I call the rise of the remnant. Now, can you forget the name of our ministry for once? <laughs> Just keep that name aside. I'm teaching scriptures for now. He said, except that the Lord of hosts has left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been at Sodom and we should have been like Gomorrah. So in order for God to preserve the heritage that was among his people, he had to generate a policy line. And the policy line he generated was the rise of the remnants. So he began to work with the remnants and he brought judgment on the pool of his people so that his eternal covenant locked among them can still continue in spite of the fact that his righteous nature compels him to bring judgment over his house. I need to explain this remnant factor quite critically. Maybe we need to go to the book of Luke chapter 3 quickly. Hallelujah. Book of Luke chapter 3, from whence we will finish with Luke chapter 3, we are going to move to the book of Acts of the Apostle chapter 37. I'm just trying, Acts chapter 13, 1 to 7. I, I'm trying to establish the, the concept the rise of the remnant. Anybody there in the book of Luke chapter 3? Okay. Um, where is uh, Mimi? Mimi was reading for me yesterday. Are you, are you still high in spirit? Now give her a microphone. Let her read. Because I want to be punctuating her and bringing some explanations here and there. So Mimi, I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 2 for now. 1 and 2. Please read it like the word of God, not like a novel or a textbook on, on the law of contract. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. Now, Caesar was the king of kings. The concept of globalization was first pioneered by Nimrod. The administrative system that supports a one-world government was effectively established by Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was the one that set up an effective administrative system that had the capacity to govern the world. He was king of nations. When he gave decrees, it affected the way nations were governed. I don't have time to press into that. And then Caesar. You see, there, there was a difference between the way the Babylonians ruled and the way the Romans ruled. Because if the Babylonians should conquer your territory, what they do is that they take all of you that survived the war and you become slaves in Babylon. Right? So your land becomes desolate. 
Are you with me? But if the Romans conquer your territory, they don't move you. They send the ecclesia to you. The ecclesia brings government. They bring military defense. They also bring education. So that they can decauterize you. They make you no longer to be an Idoma man. You become a citizen of Rome. They change your name. Change your perspective. Change your ideology. Even change your gods. It's not as if you not be allowed to worship. But you'll be, you worship a certain kind of god. Because you must become a Roman. Are you with me? Now, that terminology of the guys that are dispatched from headquarters to deculturize a new colony and make it Rome. The terminology used to describe those people as far as Roman government was, called, was concerned was the ecclesia. That is the same terminology used that Jesus used for church. That we are the ecclesia. That means if we go into a community, we should be able to deculturize that community and implant in the hearts of men the goal of existing to serve the will of the king. Are you with me? So we are supposed to deculturize people and make them kingdom functionaries for Jehovah. And, uh, when you look at the terrain, you might discover how successful <laughs> we have been on the project. Do you realize what's the name of the leader of Boko Haram now? Is Shekau still alive? Or is Shekau a, a title? Or is it the name of a person? Huh? It's a title. Because we have seen many pictures. We don't even know what to believe at the moment. So let's assume that Shekau is a title. A title that has been born by about four men. What would have happened to Boko Haram if four years ago we evangelized Borno and those four men that have the potential to be Boko Haram leaders were colonized? Every time we begin to pray and cry and to hide in holes, it is because we stopped being the ecclesia. We are supposed to deculturize the people and make them kingdom functionaries. Make them function according to a different line of purpose that brings profit to the kingdom of God. That's what we are supposed to do. That's our primary assignment. People go to some terrorist colleges for four years and become terrorists. Well, what do people become when they stay in church? We have great professionals in our midst. Most of you studied for four years in your undergraduate to be disciplined in that area. You can think along that area and bring your own ideas as far as that line of discipline is concerned and is practiced. Are you with me? Steve, how many you did undergraduate for you are Moses for four years? Today you are a programmer. You program on kinds of stuff. Because you applied yourself, you applied yourself to a specific line of learning for four years. You are now a master of that field. The question is, what do we become when we are part of church for four years? 
That's the question. Because we are supposed to become kingdom functionaries. Hallelujah. Most of you have the word of God enough to begin to disciple other people. Colonize other people. And we need to achieve maximum capacity utilization. You must have a disciple to present to Jesus. And say this. The investment you gave me. At least it produced this one. Not just somebody you led to Christ. Somebody you brought through the stages of spiritual knowledge. To a point where they, they realize that they are nothing but kingdom functionaries. Are you with me? And all of us have that capacity. May we become the Ecclesia indeed in the name of Jesus. Now, so, um, I wanted to talk about Caesar, but we don't have time. So, Caesar, the king of kings. And these were functionaries, kings under him. Yes, read. And Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. So, the, the governor of Galilee was Herod. A tetrarch is the chief governor. Governor that understands the politics of the kingdom that he represents to a great extent. He's a consultant. Yes? And his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia and of the region of Trachonitis. Philip, Philip was the civil engineer that gave Caesarea Philippi a facelift. When he was made the governor, at this time, he was tetrarch of what? Eturia. But he was eventually made the tetrarch of Caesarea. And then he decided to give it a facelift. They were building materials everywhere. Changed the outlook of the city. It was in that city, Caesarea, that Jesus came and spoke about the church for the first time. Prior to that time, the church was a secret in the heart. It was a mystery in the heart of Jesus. And Jesus had to come to Caesarea where building was taking place that was where, because the environment lent itself to what the, to the secret that Jesus wanted to unveil. And if he begins to speak about his archi-spiritual building in a place where building is going on, it will aid understanding. He had to travel from west to east in order for him to unveil that revelation. The fact that he was building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's the same Philip here. Alright? So, if you understand carefully, what is being read out now is the political structure of government in the then world. Are you with me? The political structure of government in the then world. Yes? And Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Yes, the tetrarch of Ab Abilene. And us and Caiaphas being the high priest. Now, so, you see, after talking about the political situation and the order, the chain of command in the political setting, then the next thing that the scriptures talk about is the spiritual order that was in um, functional in the nation of Israel. If you are a student of the Bible, you will know that there was supposed to be only one high priest in one generation. But what the Romans did is that in order to um, manage the Israelites adequately, even though the official high priest was a descendant of Aaron, what the Romans did was that they appointed a political high priest. And that is the only person that they're going to be dealing with if they are dealing with Israel. 
So, what the priesthood did was that they had to create accommodation to accommodate the voice of the political high priest alongside the voice of the uh, high priest, the real high priest that was a descendant of Aaron. So, two high priests were functional at the same time. Now, can you see the kind of structures that men built? Administrative structure and all of that. And it was very robust to cover politics, to cover religious activities, and to regulate activities within the landscape. Very formidable structure. But you see, it came to pass. Yes, next verse. The word of God came unto now, John. You see, when the word of the Lord wanted to come to Israel, are you with me? Can you see the robust political structure? Um, Caesar and how many kings were operating under Caesar's supervision in that scripture? Huh? What? Four kings operating under Caesar's supervision. Very wonderful political structure. And also the structure, the religious structure was wonderful. But when the word of the Lord wanted to enter into Israel, the word of the Lord did not recognize the political structure. When the word of the Lord wanted to enter Israel, the word of the Lord did not recognize the religious structure. Yes. The, the word of God. Wait, wait. The word of the Lord boycotted the robust political structure. The word of the Lord boycotted the robust religious structure. And the word of the Lord went to John the Baptist in the wilderness. That's what I mean by the remnant. The rise of the remnant. When God decides, when God sees that the main bowl of the church is not in alignment with his kingdom agenda. And it happens to be that there are several ancestral covenants that are at stake. What he does is that he, he leaves the popular side and he seeks a prayer group. Huh? Where people are still desiring him. Their heart are still aligned. How many of you were part of campus revival? In your time, the Holy Ghost was strong. Huh? Because we have to ask another question. Where were you? Because were you in the beer parlor? When there was so much kingdom action. Let's start again. How many of you were part of campus revival? Chinedu, what were you doing that you had been? I need to hear your story now. You, what were you doing that time with your life? You were, okay, you were part of it. Huh. <laughs> well, I'm not in the mood today. <laughs> Hallelujah. In those places, there were religious structures. You had a chapel. But you might discover that the level of the weight of the glory of God that might descend on a very trivial prayer meeting might be far more intense than the biggest cathedral in the city. That's an indication that there is a policy direction from heaven that has excluded most of the structures that we humans have used our intellect to build. And the word of the Lord went to John the Baptist in the wilderness. It was him that had access to the present revelation position of the spirit. Because God had several covenants in the nation that determined his line of action.
actions and his strategy. For your information. The word of the Lord has passed into the wilderness a long time ago. And the thing about the move of God. Hallelujah. Oh my. The thing about the move of God. Is that when you see a move of God in your life. It's a great. It's a grievous responsibility. Because God has found you worthy. That time. That means he went around in search. And he saw that your heart was right. So he decided to pitch his tent with you. And to make camp with you. But you see, you will have to go through the rigor of tending the presence of God. God doesn't need two supernatural entries into your life. Are you with me? If he, by an act of his sovereign will, has come to light, to become the fire on the altar that you kindle, it is left for you, therefore, to tend that until it begins to grow. You see, it is when God decides to raise the remnant that he begins to use nameless and faceless people to pioneer his kingdom intents upon the face of the earth. The book of the Acts of the Apostles a recommended piece to show how ordinary people that stumbled upon the move of God were able to tend that move until it grew to a point where it resisted the, the current government and subdued it and replaced the government. Hallelujah. That revival that they tended became a very strong factor in the manipulation of the politics of the landscape. Because it has grown to a certain level where it sustained that potency. As you have seen me here today, we, there was a revival. God visited us on campus. Yes, and I have maintained that move of God. And I hope it will be maintained in my life throughout my lifetime. And the inheritance of that move will remain in the earth. Long after I've gone. And the purposes of God, the reason for which God moved, will be actualized. Now, see, you must be very prudent with the move of God. Because there is an intent behind the outpouring. There is a temptation for you to think that God is, is manifesting his power because you are a great preacher. You are a you are a strategic personnel. Oh, what God has in mind is beyond you. It's just that he found you somewhat aligned to him and he decided to pitch his tent with you. That is a great privilege. And God may not do that a second time if you lose the import of that encounter. It is now your responsibility to tend it. That was what happened in the book of the Acts of the Apostles chapter 13. God had moved beyond the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church was infested with Judaistic ideologies and God knew that his revival would not prosper in that setup. So what he did was that he began to deploy his raw materials. Began to de deploy his personnel. And there was a massive exodus of functionaries, of men, of visionaries, of, of secret men in the chambers. They began to move to Antioch. And in Antioch, a new apostolic headquarters was set up. These guys had a different culture from the Jerusalem church. Can we check that? The rise of the remnants. Now I need to show you the spirit that drives the remnant horde. It's an army in the making. But there is a spirit that drives them. And if by any means... Oh, she's still reading. Okay, okay. Yeah, continue. The word of the Lord... 
The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism. Because the present revelation position of the Spirit has been disclosed to him, his own message, huh? all about Jordan, he began to preach a message. And what did he preach? The baptism of repentance, the baptism of repentance. for the remission of sins. Everybody was supposed to turn around. The direction in which the generation was going was wrong. And John was saying, turn around. Come to my baptism. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No priest, Caiaphas and Annas never preached that message. It was the voice of a new priesthood in the land. And that voice was speaking so loud. And even though the priest did not like the kind of influence that John was having, and probably you might say his ministry was not situated in a strategic place. He was not in the city center. He was in the wilderness. But his being in the wilderness did not affect the potency of, 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 of his ministry. He was able to achieve maximum capacity from the wilderness. In fact, when his meetings opened up, the whole of Judea, the whole of, 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 of Judea, Judea, if you are coming there for visitation at that time, you might not meet anybody around because he, his voice was the heart in the soul of Judea. And many things began to shift ground just because the word of the Lord has successfully visited a man in the wilderness and it will surprise you to know that how many years before that time? Uh, 330 years before that time, God never spoke. And I don't know how John was able to establish a priesthood that was able to secure the voice of God. And it was on the strength of that voice that a new message arose. The apostolic grace that was upon John the Baptist was seen in the emphasis. He brought back the emphasis of the kingdom. That was not about politics or structures. It was not about the rituals and the religion. Because Satan is not anti-religion. Satan is anti-Christ. Satan will give you a lot of religion. It will give you a dose of it. You will become hypnotized with religion. And he will be the one serving it himself. But he is not anti-religion. He's what? He's anti-Christ. So something was brewing from the wilderness. So insignificant that if you see it, you, you may stand to despise it. But the momentum began to gain traction. And the traction began to intensify. Hallelujah. You know, the guys operating from the temple could despise it, could insult John, could say John doesn't dress right, John doesn't, he doesn't have etiquette. See the way his belt is, it's not aligned. They can have many things to criticize John, but there was something about John that was not existent in the palace of Caesar or in the temple of the priest. The word of the Lord. And so, when God begins to incubate revival, at some point, there will be a clear-cut direction, clear-cut expression of what the will of the Lord is. What he does is that he raises with the remnant. If the remnants begin to receive the visitations of God, are you with me? Then, the next thing that happens is that a voice rises. What we call the voice of one. It is called the voice of one because nameless, faceless people that have not been known to be in the priestly line are the ones prophesying. The voice of one. The identity of the, of the speaker is not known, but the voice is strong. 
and we know the emphasis that the voice carries. So with the rise of the remnant is the rise of a voice because the word of the Lord came. To so one of the ways we will check where God is walking is we need to trace the voice of God. Hallelujah. You need to trace what? You might be amazed. Maybe some people that you heard in 1992 and there was a voice speaking through their vocal cord. I'm not talking about noises. I'm talking about a distinct clear-cut expression of the current emphasis of God coming out like that. Maybe there were such a people in 1992. I might pick up their tape in 2019 and find out that there's no voice in it. No voice left. But the proof that the remnant is rising is that they rise with a clear voice. Hallelujah. Where is help me as I finish, as I run. Now go to the book of I don't want to stress it much. See, let me say something. Our calling is to tend the revival. The revival is very fragile. It's a move of God. It starts with a move of God in the life of a man. And moves of God are contagious. They carry life in them. What God does is that he releases a seed into your heart. And that seed becomes the basis from whence the life of God begins to spring forth. And then he puts you under pressure. And puts you in the position of responsibility. To tend that life-giving material that God took pains to smuggle into your ecosystem. When God sees that you have value for that which he wants to do, then he will begin to visit you more frequently. Until you begin to understand the cord that his visitation came to strike. That is when a voice will rise. It becomes a body. His visitation creates a body for which you cry. So the Bible says, John said when his identity was required of him, I am what? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Prepare his ways. Nobody ever speak, spoke like that. There was no benediction in the temple that was that powerful. He knew who he was. And as far as God was concerned, his face should be hidden. But God has blessed his voice. And his voice will be the means through which every ear will hear the emphasis of the kingdom of God. Revival is fragile. It, it only lingers if the spirit of God is still at work. God only works if his spirit is working. Anytime the Holy Ghost leaves us, our voice will die. Yes. The security of what we are building is tied to the Holy Ghost. And the moment the Holy Spirit refuses to visit. You know, we don't even have a structure that can hold up. And it's better like that so that you can be on your knees for love. Because it's possible for you to trust your structure. 
that your structure has capacity to contain people whether the Holy Ghost is there or not and when you begin to trust your structure like that you will think that you can compromise some of the laws of God and still get by because there's no drastic physical manifestation in terms of the number of the congregation that you preach to but revival dies God stops walking when his spirit is no longer walking and what he did to John was to make John understand that even though he didn't have a steady congregation that he could call his members that would bring tight to him there was a flame of fire and his ministry was characterized by the potency of that flame because that flame gave him a voice and his identity in the agenda of God was that he was what? the voice of God gave many people the ability to do many things but for John God gave him the ability to cry he was the voice of one crying in the way he had to resort to crying because the generation had departed long to call the attention to what God was saying would require a cry let us round up with okay Ah, see, we can't enter there. We, see, we, we will continue. Acts 13 is the setting of another, the rise of another remnant colony. People like Paul, Barnabas, they came to Antioch on, they were preaching everywhere and somehow God led them to Antioch. There were other people he led People came from different places and there was a convergence. Because that which took place in Acts chapter 13 was a convergence. In a revival, God will make, see some people are in the ends of the earth. But they are hungering for the same thing. And God can make their paths meet. I mean from different lands, different tribes, different nations. And if you see the list of people in the book of Acts chapter 13, you will know it was not a tribal thing, it was not a thief thing, it was not an endowment thing. People migrated. And, and they sensed the same thing and a fraternity was forged around that which God was doing. The Bible says as they ministered unto the Lord and they did what? And fast. So he now shows us the culture of the remnant. They had left the warmth of the Jerusalem church. They were at the edge of nowhere in the city of Antioch hoping to gather coals of fire sufficient enough to kindle a flame that heaven will recognize and right there in Antioch when they ministered unto the Lord and fasted that was the first time we saw in scripture that God spoke with an audible voice it was not through the instrumentality of prophecy the Bible says the Holy Ghost is speak separate unto me <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. Let me stop there for now because that's a remnant colony. It is from this colony that the whole scope of Asia Minor, if you check the guys that were ESCO members in this association, they were very few. But they sent out missions and missionaries. Two missionaries that captured the entire region of Asia Minor. In the days of revival, it's not about number. It's about the capacity of the spirit bestowed upon men. That's when you will see that one will chase a thousand and two 
we put 10,000 to flight. Today, I want us to pray before we leave here. Because the emphasis of God in an increasing measure is on the remnant. And the power behind the civilization remnant is the Holy Ghost. They have found a way to tend his presence. They have found a way to minister unto the Lord and to fast. And they made God their first audience. They were not so important so they could starve their flesh just to secure the audience of God. They built a priesthood that captured the office of God as, as preeminent. And they kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing and the vista of heaven opened. And a direct policy from heaven broke out in their midst. Separate Paul and Barnabas. It was a wisdom that came. And that wisdom was a strategy on how the church could spread. Those were the altars where God had a voice to speak. Of how we can take down Islam. It will take an altar. It will take a, an accurate remnant colony. To secure the wisdom on how we can take down Islam. Mind you, Islam is not as was is not as strong as communism was. But communism was brought down. Who told you that Islam is too powerful? Their gates are porous. They are warriors. Their strength is depart from them. But we need to ask God to give us wisdom. Just like He said in the midst of that colony, separate. The anointing is on Paul and Barnabas. Separate them. You guys in the colony keep making life and power available. But separate them. Separate them. That's how missionaries were, were forged. That's how apostolic ministers were dispatched. And in two years, Asia Minor came down. The land of the unbelievers. Can we pray and say, God, in the name of Jesus. We line up. We are lying as a colony, a colony of light. A community that will tend the flame and tend the fire. We'll create an opportunity for you to reveal your policy. The next line of direction. Let the fire in our midst never be extinguished. Let that which you are doing in my spirit never die. Oh, Mahai Tokama. He gave you fire to tend. He gave you fire to keep. He gave you fire, fire to turn so that it will increase in his burning, in his witness, in his testimony. We pray, oh God, that your hand over us will be stronger. We await your directives. We await your wisdom. We await your strategies. You know what will bring Islam down. You know what will bring it down. That's what we seek. That our corporate ranking might be so pleasing in your sight. So much so that you will speak expressly. 
as you spoke to the brethren in Antioch separate Paul and Barnabas unto the work that I have called them can you receive grace to be able to turn that flame burning inside of your spirit that that flame will not burn low it will not burn out the bible speaks about christ that when he comes when he comes he's smoking flags he will not quench a smoking weed he will not put out even if there is little fire he will not quench it he will tend it he will keep it until it bursts into flames as they minister unto God and fasting the Holy Ghost increase the flame in our midst increase the flame increase the fire increase the fire increase the fire mera soka tando zama increase the flame the flame on my altar let my smoking flax not die out let my flame not burn out increase the fire Increase the intensity. Born in me. Born in me. Born in me. Born in me, oh God, in the name of Jesus. The priest of Zemalia, Remos Cante, Escobre Hedecate, Branta Baboria. Don't allow that discouragement to put out the fire. Don't allow that situation to put out the fire. That fire must be tended. The fire must be managed. It must be made to increase. It must be kept burning. You must put wood after wood. You must put, 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 put flax after flax that it might burn because in it there is salvation. In it there is deliverance. When it burns very hot, even the serpent that is locking in the woods will be pushed out by the heat. Something intense will begin to find expression and God will begin to overtake. He will begin to overtake the landscape. He will begin to overtake the land. His hand will become stronger among his people and in his house. We pray, O oh God, give us the grace to turn the fire. The grace to turn the fire. Don't allow your discouragement to take away the fire. 
the spirit of depression might want to come from your inside. But don't let it take the fire. The word of the Lord meandered into the wilderness. It had an encounter with John. John kept that word. John lived by that word. John kept the flames of that word. And when Jesus testified about John, he called him a warning and a shining light. He kept the flame. He kept the fire. He kept the fire burning. He kept the flame burning. He kept it burning. It will burn in Macaulay. It will move to Abuja. It will burn in Concisa. It will burn in Vodegia. It will burn in Naka. It will burn in Lagos. It will burn in Batakwe. Flames of fire. Flames of fire. Flames of fire. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and comments roll with blood. But this shall be with burning and with flames of fire. This shall be with burning and flames of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and a government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Oh,
help inside. We need the activity of your spirit to work in us in willingness and work in us in willingness and in performance of God. Oh God, we pray. Jesus. Jesus. Feel us, oh God. Feel us, oh God. Feel us overflowing. Feel us what we lose our wheels to your will. Oh God, feel us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit of the living God. Jesus, mighty name we pray.